Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. And we're looking at the value systems inherent in those changes in particular, and uh, we're going to look a bit more deeply at exactly how those changes configure. And what you watch out for, I guess, in yourself, because as I read this, this list that Steve has in front that we're going to discuss now, uh, I see how important simply awareness can be, that you become aware of these elements, these parts of yourself, or where you perhaps are retrogressing back to older parts of yourself, just to to notice that in yourself. Don't necessarily have to change anything, just that simple awareness can do the job in and of itself often. Yeah, Nick, I think it's important to remember that we are in this backsliding, regressive value search at the moment, and this is a normal change dynamic in a complex system because the, the change trajectory is never linear in a complex system. Uh, what you'll find is that as the system um, senses from its environment that change is required, it will then start to uh, oscillate. And, and uh, I guess an example of this is the climate change that we're going through at the moment. Even though the the most common, um, what would you call it, meme out there, I <laughs> guess, is, is the, the linear global warming story, that actually runs absolutely counter to what we really know about changing complex systems. Mm. When complex systems go through change, we get what's actually happening on the planet. And if you will look at look at the weather reports and take notice of what's happening with the weather, you'll find that we're getting extremes of both hot, hot and cold. You know, right at the moment here in Australia, we're having extraordinarily heavy snowfalls. Mm. Um, and it just doesn't fit with this idea that things just are going in a straight line towards being hotter everywhere on the planet. You know, that's that's never been the case in history. Even when we go through hot periods and cold periods, overall, there are always differences in different hemispheres because yes. of the, simply yeah. the seasons, right? It's never summer in both hemispheres at the same time. Yeah. So uh, if you look at the reality of things, you'll find that in a complex system, you'll get these spikes in both directions. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether we're talking about the climate or whether we're talking about human behavior, yeah. the same thing applies. Yeah, no, I, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about one's own, my own emotional, psychic, psychological space in response to life on Earth at this time, because you'll find that you are expressing both the hot and the cold, so to speak, of exactly that of just of oneself. Yeah, and and typically, what happens when a human goes through a transformational change, and that means a change of worldview, a change of our fundamental way of making sense of reality. We come to the end of usefulness of our old value system and we get the message really clear that it doesn't work to live life that way anymore. We can't see into the future. But if we actually understand the change dynamic, we can start to say to ourselves, okay, I'm at that point in the change process where my old way of living doesn't work anymore. And typically what happens is we look backwards to try and remember a time when... Mm 
our value system did work better and it's not the most immediate value system that we're leaving but it's usually a previous value system mm. and so we go on this regressive search and we and we and this is a subconscious process you know we start to live life in the old ways just to see if that would work mm. and that's happening widespread right across the world at the moment as you can see we're regressing to fundamentalist attitudes we're seeing the rise of extreme left and extreme mm. right mm. behavior very black and white and these these are actually old values that belong in the agricultural era um, prior to the scientific industrial era and that's a normal thing and what, what it, it I guess um, evolution has designed the change process that way because when there's an extreme difference between how things are and how they need to be that's when we're most motivated for change and I talk about this as as uh, um, being like pulling back the elastic band on a slingshot. It's a slingshot effect. So you've got to pull that elastic band in the opposite direction to create the tension on it to then propel you forward. And this regressive value search just does exactly that from a human behavioral point of view. Mm. Um, and if you can understand that, okay, I'm moving from what has been an individual way of living to a communal way of living, then you can actually use that as a compass and it's quite possible to reduce the regression and smooth the transition uh, by simply focusing on mm. flipping things mm. uh, 180. Mm. You know? which, which is actually a lot of fun because it brings a, a sense of humour to yeah. life, actually. And, and ultimately what it means is working with paradox. The paradox yeah. of knowing that doing the opposite is going to bring a different result. Mm. And, and again, this is beautifully documented in the, the Tai Chi symbol from Taoism mm. where you've got the yin and the yang, the, the black and the white, and as as each one reaches its pinnacle, the seed of the other emerges. Uh, and so by thinking about that and knowing that, okay, I'm in this extreme way of living individually now, if I just give start watering this little seed of community orientation, then that's going to take me where I need to go. And, and some of the ways that that's playing out in this current global paradigm shift is... It's taking us from a push dynamic to a pull dynamic. Yeah, push push to pull. I like this very much. In fact, uh, folks, today we're not pushing you to subscribe, for example. We're gently pulling you in. Pulling you in <laughs> because you want to be part of the community. That's right. The attraction. Yeah. That's it. The attraction process. It's an attraction. It's a magnet. Yeah, yeah. It's a magnet. The law of attraction, it. as they say. Yeah. And I, another way that push dynamic plays out you know most obviously is in advertising you know it's like pushing it in your face do this do this do this and and you know how many people are you meeting today that are really really sick of that kind of stuff being pushed in your face you know everywhere you go there's a goddamn billboard or there's something you know you're trying to read a website and they're popping up something in your face saying buy this do that and uh the, the tension that we're all feeling around that is a sign that you yeah. know, this is old paradigm stuff that we actually need to get beyond funny we actually have a prime minister who comes from marketing in fact and from advertising there you go well there you go yeah yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> and then another dynamic is uh, that we're moving from the diversity of individuality back to the conformity of community and it doesn't matter whether it's diversity or conformity if there's too much of it then it doesn't feel right and so you know when we're when the paradigm is established and we're in the kind of middle phase of it we feel this lovely balance that everything's good because we've got a mix of those things and of course we're trending towards community and conformity um, and but there will come a time and we need to understand that and, and expect it that there'll come a time when we again in the future we've got too much community too much conformity not enough diversity mm. and we need to mm. flip it again 
Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that diversity in any way is a bad thing, of course. Diversity no. is a wonderful development, and it's been an incredible thing that people have been able to be in this last era that we're talking about, this last period of the value system. We've done it for the last, say, 300 years or so. That the diversity, that individuality has grown to such a degree that many amazing things have occurred. And for me personally, you can look at the, the creative nature of, the, of humanity in this period. It has produced some incredible things. Uh, and yet it's also produced a whole bunch of new issues. So it's not about diversity being wrong, but diversity can go too far too. We can focus too much, for example, on, and this is a bit of a contentious area, we won't go into in depth into the whole political correctness frame when something has to be so PC to to keep and establish the diversity that it loses actually the the, the truth in, in what's really required for people to live together and, and, and come together to solve the problems, in fact. Yeah, and in this time of change, at this this time in, in history where we're feeling a pull to rebalance things because we're at the, the tail end mm. of an individual era where things have run to an extreme, they're too individual, and we, we're feeling this strong pull to rebalance things. Mm. And I guess you know, a simple example of diversity is a masculine-feminine mix. You mm. know, say you've got a, you're putting together a team and uh, you want to a diversity within the team of both masculine and, and feminine mm-hmm. members and depending on what the team's job is role is then you might want to sway it you know sway the balance one way or the other to, for, to greatest effect um, but it's not you know you can't say that it's wrong to have masculine members or it's wrong to have feminine members that's crazy you actually want that mix and the mix will never stay static because mm. you and will be Mm. And we'll be different in different um, in different forums in different uh, structures. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But it's understanding that we need to value everything here, and then move beyond you know acceptance, rejectance to a more sophisticated understanding of blending, you know, and balancing. Mm. And that, and that's what this emerging paradigm is taking us to. Did you use the word rejectance? Then that's a good word. Yeah, rejectance, kind of like deliberate. And uh, some of the other themes that are playing out in this shift, and if you are facing problems in life, in work, you might want to just reflect on the the direction these things, these themes are taking us, because you might find that there are solutions to the problems that are arising for you Mm. in some of these simple understandings that we're moving from push Mm. to pull. We're moving from uh, diversity, individuality to community conformity. Mm. We're moving from competition to cooperation. Yes. We're moving from dominance to nurturing. Yeah. And there is a masculine-feminine theme in this paradigm shift as well because the individually-oriented paradigms are essentially masculine-themed. Uh, and it's that masculine uh, agency yeah. of wanting to change the world yeah. versus the feminine uh, nurturing yeah. and holding and uh, yeah. you know birthing process yes and, and we're moving to that feminine way of of being as a general theme at the moment uh, from the accumulation of assets to the rebalancing of resources which we're seeing in so many different ways that conversation occurring in and as i read that part I, I think of the conversation around for example the universal basic income that's come online in the in recent times which is a, a different way of approaching the, the way we distribute resources into a community into a society it's still a fair way off those kind of structures but they're now being talked about they're part of the discourse yeah, yeah, and within that, there's this move from ownership to sharing mm. as well. Yes, as part of that same sort of dynamic, uh, and a movement from short-term thinking and short-term rewards to long-term thinking and sustainable harvest. Mm. Sustainable harvest—that's a lovely term. Yeah, mm. 
uh, a movement from climbing hierarchies to flattening hierarchies. Mm. And that's a tricky one. I mean, let's expand on that one a little bit because that's rather important because we know that um, in in many communitarian um, value systems, the idea of a hierarchy is is uh, is problematic. That there's somebody in charge, that somebody's above you, so to speak. Yeah, it's got a bad rap for some good reason over down through time. There's a trap in this one. Yes, uh, and the trap is avoided by shifting our understanding of leadership. Mm. And I think too often, you know, there's again these these themes that I'm describing. These are like subconscious drivers that are just playing themselves out. Often people aren't even conscious of the fact that they're playing, the, you know, a role in in the emergence of these themes. Uh, but and the and the general sort of instinct is to pull down these hierarchies, and we want to pull them down because they've been dominant. Yeah. You know, they haven't been nurturing hierarchies. Yes, they've been dominant hierarchies that are trying to push us around, make us do things that we don't want to do, make us buy things we don't want to buy, um, and it's run to an extreme. And so the natural thing is, okay, we want to stop that. And of course, you know, there, there's no argument there. Uh, and as we flatten the hierarchies, there is uh, a danger of losing. Uh, the leadership process entirely and yeah. sometimes that happens um, as, as this is playing out people flatten the hierarchy and then all of a sudden no one's in charge yes. and what we need to do is to understand uh, how to um, move to a more dynamic model of leadership so we understand who is in the group that we have and perhaps everybody's on a level playing field but the truth is that different people within the group have different levels of experience and different skills and so the the true wisdom of crowds in that case will yes. come from allowing leadership to emerge where it's naturally appropriate mm. and so if a problem arises that the group needs to address then we allow whoever is within mm. the group to step forward and share their mm. experience and to share their skills pass around the talking stick so to speak but then yeah yeah exactly so so it's um, you know it's about moving from a dominant model of leadership to a model of shared leadership and yeah. that's where the, the flattened hierarchy can work best it yeah. will work best yes yeah uh, where it goes wrong, of course, is where no one's in charge, and any effort by anybody to to put forward, mm. you know, a different viewpoint is squashed down, mm. and that's where you lose the wisdom of the crowds. And in some sense, I think that possibly, and this is a big discussion we won't go into, possibly happened uh, in the um, the we are the ninety nine percent, the Occupy movement to a degree, I think, because they didn't have a political direction. Not that that was necessarily the, the right way to go either, but there right. didn't seem to be a leadership that emerged from that properly so somehow other it just collapsed and it was a very powerful movement there in that moment in time yeah and it all you know it played important an important yeah. role in the rise of the public voice yeah you know so so these and this is the way that evolution happens it's a bit like a, the tide coming in on a beach you know you, the wave will come up a little bit further each time and then it'll recede again and and it's not like the first wave that comes in goes all the way up to the high tide mark it just doesn't work like that you know that would be a linear um, change process, mm. and that doesn't happen in complex systems. You get the gradual shift and the regression, the gradual shift forward. And the Unless regression. it's a tidal wave, of course, and that's a different kind of thing going yeah, on well, there. Well, even so, you know, even, even a tidal so. wave is just a larger pattern. Larger drawing back and then you know, flooding forward. Um, yeah, okay. You don't get 10 tidal waves happening in a row. That would be, again, you know, a linear process, it's, and complex systems don't change that way. Mm. So we ought to expect, as this shift progresses, this paradigm shift that we're going through globally, uh, a little bit of progress and then a little bit of regression, a little bit of progress, a little bit of regression, and then eventually we'll, we'll get to the high tide mark and you know, there'll be uh, a level of stability for a while. Um, 
another way that another theme that we're seeing in the value shift is uh, around morality and morality is a really interesting topic because our our strong moral codes generally tend to come out of the conformative times the you know the conformity within the communal paradigms and in between when we go through these individual paradigms we break out and we get diversity of values um, there's, there's not, we don't have the same conformity. And so the really strong moral codes come out of the communal systems. We, I think a lot of people in society are feeling now like society has lost its moral compass. Yes. And that is because we had these strong morals back in the agricultural era. You know, there was a, a, a strict list of what's right and what's wrong and, uh, and a sort of tendency to urge people to live righteously. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then with the emergence of the individual scientific industrial, it's all about diversity again. And this is how evolution works. I mean, if you've got too much of one thing, you know, it, you can't progress. You end up slowing down and it, you end have to break, out, sack or break out of that and let the pendulum swing back in the other mm-hmm. direction in order to progress. So, And we certainly uh, certainly enjoyed the play with the individually themed uh, meme, we so do. to speak, in the last round. We've, we've loved to ex- explore beyond the moral and ethical codes and push the boundaries in all sorts of ways. Yeah. And in many ways, that's been a very good thing. But it's also led to, again, too much of that. Yeah. yeah. And when we go through this momentous leap, when we have this big quantum shift at the end of this first chapter of human evolution, we're going to move to a place where we're conscious of these dynamics and we'll use them as appropriate. You know, we'll have the integrated brain operation and we can roll out whatever approach we need to, to suit whatever the problem is that we need to solve. Isn't that exciting, folks? I think that's really exciting, thinking like the way. It is rather. Mm. Um, and so we've gone through a period of morality becoming uh, doing whatever it takes in the scientific industrial era. It's like, okay, it's, it, you know, pretty much throw out all the rules and we'll just do whatever we need to do in order to succeed. Mm. Um, and for many people, that now looks like a very immoral, corrupt way mm. of living. And, and it essentially is. Um, because it's run to an extreme and we're shifting back now to the development of a new moral code for the emerging uh, layer six relativistic postmodern era. And it's why you'll find many people who've been part part of that structure, corporate people for example, people who've been in power, people who've been at the top of a hierarchy somewhere, starting to actually question themselves about the way that they've lived their lives because in some way or other in their lives, maybe in their family, maybe in their personal relationships and some other aspect of their lives, no matter how successful they've been at sort of milking the system, if you will, there is a disturbance arising, I think, in a lot of people that they're starting to consider how they've been and to look for different ways of, uh, of venturing into themselves and finding a way to meet with others and to connect with others and to create a different a different structure, a different network. Yeah, formation. that's right. And, and in the early stage of change, you know, the some of the efforts to try and bring in a new moral code can look very naive and very yeah. desperate, and they they essentially are because it's it's like you know it's like a child learning to walk. Mm. The first moments of that are clumsy, and you know the, there's a bit of walking and a bit of stumbling and a bit of smashing your face on the ground and that kind of stuff, and that's the way it is. And and we really are from a from a global perspective in that phase of the rebuilding of a moral code, you know that that we can all share and, and are happy to conform to, and uh, and we're looking everywhere in a somewhat desperate way to try and find that code. And I think um, the uh, the emergence 
the emergence of Greta, you know, the, who's yeah, the, the, the sort of yeah. uh, school kid spokesman for the, the new ecological uh, morals for the world is a great example of that. Yeah. And um, and it's this is a natural evolutionary dynamic, so there's nothing wrong with it. But we need to recognise that okay, this is baby steps. Mm. This is the emergence of uh, you know our our desperate search for what's next, and we're going to grab onto whatever looks like it yeah. might be what's next. And and she's definitely an early stage example of that. But it's a stumbling you know, crawling, walking a bit, falling on your face kind of uh, example. Yeah. Um, but, but nonetheless, it's progress, you know, so we, sh- we shouldn't uh, rush to, to criticize no, it too much. It, it was a little deserving, I found, to find uh, Greta on the front cover of GQ magazine all dressed up and made up and uh, you know, looking like, uh, you know, you're either with us or against us kind yeah, of attitude. Yeah, yeah. And nevertheless, what you're saying is a really good way of looking at it. Same, I think, for Extinction Rebellion, that movement yes. as a whole, too, yeah, is yeah. part of that, too. Yeah, you know, the, fundamentally, these things are taking us in the right direction, yes. and we need to understand the value of that. But we also mm. need to take a mature look with a, with an understanding of how change plays out and realise that, okay, this is actually not the final uh, outcome, you know, of, of the, the mature emergence of a new value system it's an early stage clumsy attempt mm-hmm. and we we need to understand it we need to uh, accept that it's valuable because it's it's the compass starting to point in the right mm-hmm. direction but it's you know it's not the it, it's not the uh, Olympic uh, running champion mm-hmm. it's actually the early stumbling and version. it's it's very easy to be seduced by the possibility that it is the answer I think that's one of the things that's, that is going on a lot it, in it is because yeah. you're in this in this place of realizing that our old values don't work and we don't know what the new ones are then then there's a desperation that emerges and uh, the, the only real um, antidote to that desperation is to understand the map and the change process the change dynamic and realize that okay we're in the early stages here you know and you'll see this in a simple example might be a group of people who come together to make a plan you know and if you've got a group of people that have never made a plan in a group before it's going to be a really clumsy process because they've got to work out you know who's actually who, who knows within this group what they're talking about and who doesn't know what they're talking about who's got some experience who hasn't and so you go through this crazy sort of storming process early on before you actually figure out the dynamics of the group and then you can settle down to developing a plan using the you know the experience of relevant people within the group yeah. whereas if you you take a, a group of people who's who have worked as professional planners for 30 years uh, they're gonna they're gonna have an extremely different dynamic and they're gonna go straight into realizing whether they know what they need to know or not you know and they'll they'll create a plan much more quickly and uh, that's just not where we're at at the moment at a globe you know we're, we're in the the early stage we we don't actually know what's going on mm. we're not quite sure where we're headed and we're trying to do the best we can in a difficult situation yes which yeah. means that some plans and some things that are put into action are not necessarily uh, the best but they're they're as you're saying they're sort of young they're adolescent they're childlike they're, they're, formative. Yeah. they're formative yeah formative is a good word so it's it's good to understand that you're tuned to future sense with nick jeans and steve mcdonald engage Emerge, activate, and spiral up. 10.43 here on BAFM on Future Senses, uh, Nick and Steve. Just to mention two uh, those surprises. Mullenbach, of course, is the authorised Apple reseller in the region, and uh, they are the, um, the people who have given BAFM the $5,000 voucher 
redeemable there at Mullen Mac as the first prize for um, subscribing to BFM this year. And, of course, the daily prize, Santos Organics Voucher, valued at $99 every single day of Radiothon. Thanks to Santos for that. That's a great prize that somebody wins. You've still got a few minutes to subscribe to this show. Thanks for those who subscribed this morning on uh, Future Sense. Thank you again. And we'll be back, of course, next week. We will expect five times as many subscribers. Yes, we will. Uh, we, but we're not pushing. We're pulling. We're drawing you in. It's a very lovely process that we're involved in here. But you have a few more minutes to uh, to call up right now or to go online. And I think Steve and I will both be subscribing in the next uh, 24 hours. We will be, indeed. We will, indeed. Um, I've been a subscriber for years and years and years, and Steve, since he's been involved in the station, yeah. most of our presenters actually are, and many of our volunteers. So um, please join us and support this station. We've been talking about community today, and the theme is celebrating the difference. We like to celebrate, though, what we share as a community here, and we've been talking a bit about that today. We have indeed. And um, just to wrap up, let's think about um, the road ahead. And for those of us who feel drawn to understand the bigger picture in terms of the, the global scale shift and, and perhaps even just, you know, the, the scale of community shift within the whatever area of the planet you happen mm. to be residing in and, uh, and also feel drawn to play an appropriate role in supporting the change, uh, I think the best thing we can do is to be as informed as possible. And using that analogy of the of the child learning to walk, and that's really relevant to the emergence of this new paradigm because we are moving into a new way of being human that we have never experienced before, and we need to to learn how to walk in that new paradigm and how to live out the values associated with it, and and really how to you know bed down those values within our local community. Mm. Uh, and uh, sticking with that analogy of the, the young child learning to walk, how do we avoid the face plant? And for those of you that might not be familiar with that slang term, the face plant is a slang term for falling on your face. Uh, and uh, bearing in mind that uh, you know, we can apply an adult learning process, if, uh, those of, uh, of us who are adults and who are in a position to to both feel drawn and to want to support this large-scale shift in some way. And that comes down to our capacity to apply our lifelong learnings to a completely different context. Yeah. And this essentially is a form of pattern recognition. So it's it's not looking at literally the detail of what you might have learned in the past, but the patterns that mm. you've seen, the pattern that, that you've recognized when you come to do something new. Uh, and often those patterns that you see in old activities can also be seen in different activities, just playing themselves out in a different way um, and understanding how we learn, understanding the change process, the, the fact that when we do go through a change process and we're learning something new, we're not necessarily going to go from uh, novice to expert in a straight line. We're going to go from novice through a bit of a roller coaster ride of mm. figuring out, okay, what patterns apply in this new activity and how do I apply them? How do I apply them in a communal context instead of an individual context with the emergence of this communal paradigm? Yeah. Um, and one of the one of the relevant pieces of learning around this is what we know as the wisdom of crowds, which mm. uh, yes. was uh, there was a, a wonderful well, book written, book. Yeah. Uh, published in two thousand four by James Suri. Surowiecki, I hope I pronounced mm. his name right there. I apologize if I haven't. Um, and uh, this is extremely relevant to us. And there were three simple things that uh, James documented in his book that were essential ingredients in the wisdom of crowds and applying it. The first one is independence of decision. And now this is paradoxical, yes, right? It's, it? it sounds like the opposite of what you might expect. Mm. But when you bring a group of people together, 
if everybody blindly accepts some kind of meme that's being pushed on the group, mm-hmm. uh, yes. then you lose the independence of decision. But the wisdom emerges when everybody goes through their own independent decision-making process and then they come together and find that they've all come to the same result from yeah. different angles. That's when the wisdom is really playing itself out yes. and that's what we might call synchronicity. And this is a, a key process uh, that I use as a futurist when I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on around and about is I look for completely independent sources that have gone through completely independent decision-making processes but mm. come to the same conclusion. Mm. And not influenced, for example, by the same uh, corporate or governmental or other influential bodies that might be um, influencing the way that decisions are made. That, that's right. Mm. And the second key ingredient in the wisdom of crowds is diversity of information, which comes from that independent decision-making process. And so uh, you don't want necessarily want sources that have made the same decisions from the same information. You want to look at people that are actually looking completely different information. And one way that I apply this as a futurist is, for example, I look at uh, economic forecasters like Martin Armstrong, for example, and none of the sources that I use are necessarily 100% perfect. They all have their own flaws and biases. But hey, it's economics. Exactly. But what you know, what what an economic forecaster like Armstrong is doing is he's using a computerized process that's based on historical patterns. Uh, and in his particular case, he's realized since he did the computer programming that the the cycles which the computer's spitting out happen to be in alignment, for example, with the solar cycles. And those sorts of things, those correlations, are really important. And they're a bit of a stretch for many people. But you know, I guess we, on this show. Uh, we like to encourage you to look at things this way a bit more, to be open to seeing things this way, to the independence of other people's decisions, the diversity of information that's out there, the way that they may correlate, the way that they may influence each other, that there may be uh, factors that uh, that uh, influence each other. That's right. And um, with my knowledge of Claire Graves' work, of course, I go through my own process of decision-making uh, from understanding the patterns that Graves identified in his research and then trying to apply those to what I see in the wider world. And so I'll come to my own conclusion about you know what I think is going on and what the key drivers are. And then I, I always try and use at least three completely independent and diverse sources. And some of those are uh, pretty out-of-the-box sources. Like mm-hmm. one of them, for example, is... Uh, the, the channeled messages from Cryon that we sometimes talk about on the show, yeah. which is not something that most mainstream people are really going to take notice of. Mm. Um, but because of my knowledge of Graves's work and the fact that mm. Graves's research has helped me understand how people operating from different um, levels of consciousness, different layers of consciousness structure their language, I can then look at a source and look at the way that they're structuring their language, the underlying framework of reality which is embedded in the language and then I can tell how complex the thinking has been behind their decision-making process. Because it's not a conscious thing is it, when someone is uh, is speaking it's uh, not conscious about at all. anything. No, it's, it's, a, just, it's absolutely subconscious uh, and yeah. it's shaped by our underlying yeah. framework for yeah. making sense of reality, which relates mm. to the layers of consciousness in Graves' model. Yeah. And so I can, I, I've looked at Cryon many times and analysed the language in it and it tells me that his messages are based on a very complex decision-making process, not a simple one. Yeah. 
Um, and so I might take, you know, the, an economic forecast and I'll take what I've figured from Graves' stuff and I'll take Cryon and then ideally I'll, you know, have more sources as well. And then where they all overlap, where you get that synchronicity, they're mm. all they're, all of their compasses mm. are pointing in the same direction, yes. then, you know, okay, there's something going on here. Yeah. It might not be, you know, an absolute revelation, but it's, it's our best way of navigating through the change process. And not everything has to match up, so to speak, but where they interface, the places where they're locking together, there's, there's a key there. There's something that's speaking to us there. Yeah, exactly. And what I'm talking about, or have been talking about just now, is the third yes. pillar in this wisdom of crowds, which is the decentralization of organization. Mm. So pulling from absolutely diverse uh, sources where they've made their own decisions completely independently from a diversity of information and then seeing the synchronicity that emerges from that. And, and that's our absolute mm. best uh, navigation system you know, yeah. for, for going through this very, very complex change. Yeah, I'd imagine in some ways, I'm thinking as you're speaking, we already mentioned the Hong Kong situation, that the the very large crowds that are in the streets of Hong Kong continue now for weeks and weeks and weeks, and we're seeing a big one right now. Um, that so many people, unlikely that there's a, a central organisation there. It's more likely that there are a number of different uh, bodies that are organising different parts of They may be related to each other, they probably are. They're yeah. smart people, they're very well connected, of course. So they're probably doing it in some sort of coordinated fashion, but I doubt whether there's a real central place of it. There may be, but I don't think so. No, I mean, I think it's it's often comforting for people to think that someone's in charge yes. in situations yeah, right. like that, but it's, it's pretty much <laughs> never the case. And, uh, you know, if there's one thing I learned from, from my time in the military and interfacing with senior levels of government around, you know, national strategy and military strategy and those sorts of things is that the general impression I got was that no one really knew what was going on. <laughs> Oh, that makes me very feel very comforted and safe. Doesn't it make you feel comforted and safe? More so than buying more military hardware and sticking it somewhere that it shouldn't be stuck in, in an old frame, as we were talking about earlier today. Mm. Very good, that part, too, just to start thinking about how we can position ourselves as a country. When you were talking about that, because we've got a couple of minutes left, I'm just filling in space sure. a little bit here, but we talked earlier, you talked earlier about um, the nature of, uh, of positioning ourselves with regard to China and the Pacific region and the Middle East and uh, the call from America to for more troops. Uh, representation or naval support in the in the uh, in, in the Persian Gulf and the like, and I thought of New Zealand and how New Zealand somehow or other is beginning to stand up in in this different way through uh, yeah. the leadership that is there, Jacinda Ardern, which who is clearly a leader in a different kind of way than uh, than previous leaders or current leaders that we have Absolutely. generally in the world, and that somehow New Zealand has always been a little bit on the cutting edge of that, and perhaps it's easier for them. They're a smaller country; they're not that influential, but they're bold enough, they're courageous enough to go. No, we're going to just do it a little bit differently. Here, yeah, you know? yeah. And, you know, this is an unlikely example, but look at what Trump has done around potential conflict since he's been in power. You know, he has he's run uh, completely opposite to the, the war hawks within the U.S. administration who are trying to, you know, encourage conflict, really. Uh, and he said, no, I'm just going to go and talk to these folks. And, and that really is a communal approach. Yeah. It's like, let's actually get together and talk about this and see if we can find some commonality, you know, some, some common aims. Um, I think it's, it's probably fair to say that most people don't want war, apart from those people who stand to benefit, particularly financially, from mm -hmm. it. Um, and, and I think, 
Trump, uh, for all his flaws and um, you know naivety at times, has done an amazing job of simply going and talking to people and defusing mm. what you know things that could have emerged into yeah. actual physical conflict. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're great Korea, mates, Kim Jong Un. We're great mates. You know, we're good. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's paradoxical, folks. And we're certainly not making Trump right, but we're also not making him wrong because this is what we have at the moment, and uh, it's part of the change process. In fact, of this repositioning, this reconfiguration of how we uh, have present ourselves and uh, express ourselves in the world. Yeah, and the, a second-tier approach. So, you know, if we can operate from on the other side of this quantum leap in human capacity, a second-tier approach in its early stages really focuses on what works, and it doesn't have a built-in bias towards mm. an individual approach or a communal approach. It simply looks for what will work mm. in this particular situation. Or one's individual preferences, because it's easy to have a preference about how we think things should change and I believe it should be this way or that way. And uh, but the truth is, you know, we surrender to what actually, what works, what does the job. Yeah, mm. that's it for Future Sense for this week. Thanks for joining us here on BFM Pregnancy, Birth, and Beyond. Coming up shortly, uh, tune in to us. The edited versions of uh, this show are podcast via futuresense.it. You can go through that uh, portal or just to iTunes or some other platforms. Uh, on Twitter, we're at Future Sense Show. And you can also listen to the full show with all the music and everything else on Bay FM's website. Those of you who might be listening from Brisbane, I'll be oh, yes. in Brisbane on Saturday the 24th of August at the Kindler Theatre at QUT in the city for the screening of From Shock to Awe at 1.30pm. Uh, and you can find details and a link to tickets on the psychedelicsociety.org.au website. Excellent. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned at Bay FM and please subscribe. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.